In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In the beginning, I'd like to thank the choir of St. Damiana for the beautiful presentation that they presented to us, uh, songs in Coptic and Arab and English, and also about St. Damiana and Psalms. So I'd like to thank them for this wonderful presentation. Uh, our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15. Uh, this chapter is 27 verses, but we'll take only the half of the chapter. We will not cover the whole chapter, we'll take uh, half of the chapter. Um, one of the most frequently used illustrations in the Bible is that of a grape vine or vineyard. This illustration was used in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Grapes were commonly grown in Israel and were greatly valued as a food. And people in that society were familiar with the activities involved in growing grapes. Uh, since illustrations in general help people to learn, Vines were often used to teach spiritual lessons. It was used in Isaiah, Book of Psalm, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Romans, Luke, Matthew, and 1 Corinthians. So several times uh, this illustration is used. The outline of chapter 15 from verse 1 to 8, the true vine. From 9 to 17, love and joy perfected. From 18 to 25, the world's hatred. And from 26 and 27, the coming rejection. So let's start from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, the Father, prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, chapter 14 ended. The Lord, his discourse in chapter 14 was in the upper room on Covenant Thursday, after he gave them their body and their blood, and he talked with the disciples about Judas' the betrayal, his crucifixion, his ascension, and his resurrection from the dead. Then chapter 14 ended by the word, let us arise from here. So they left the upper room, and they went to the Mount of Olives. So after the Lord arrived with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, then the remaining hour of his ministry, few hours, uh, are just like maybe three hours, only until they arrested him and the trial started. So in this very few remaining hours of his ministry, the Lord used these hours to deliver to them a very long and the most excellent discourse 
recorded in chapters 15 and 16. Then chapter 17 ended by his final prayer. Then we read about the arrest and the trial from chapter 18. This discourse, he began with the illustration of the vine, taken probably from the vines that were growing around them on the Mount of Olives. So he took them into this Mount of Olives, and there were a lot of vines around them. So from these vines, he started to tell them, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In this illustration, he showed them the excellence of his teaching and the nature of the relation in which they stood uh, to him, stood fast with him. So in this illustration, he explained to them the excellence of his teaching and the nature or the type of any relationship that will bind them with Christ. Also, he explained to them the advantage which come and as a result from this relationship, abiding in the vine, abiding in him, and he abide in them, what are the advantage that comes from or as a result from this relationship? The Lord in the Gospel of John, he used the word I am seven times. I am is a very important word because when Moses asked God, what is your name? God told him, I am who is I am. And I am is Jehovah, Yahweh. So when the Lord used the word I am seven times, he is referring to his divinity. So, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, truth, and life. And the last one, or the seventh one, I am the true vine. So the Lord in the Gospel of John, he used the word I am seven times with seven different descriptions. Then he said, I am the true vine. I am to my church and to the real members what the vine is to its branches. So me, the Lord is saying, me to you as the vine is to the branches. As the branches draw nourishment from the vine. And as the branches are fruitful by their union with the stalk and by the care of the vine dresser, so the Christian are made fruitful in all holiness, in all righteousness, in love, by abiding in me by believing in me, by believing in the truth of my promises of the gospel. And they will be nourished as the branches are nourished from the vine. So 
my people will be nourished by the influence of the Holy Spirit that I will send to them. And the Father is the vine dresser. Because the Father is the one who planted this vine. The Father is the one who sent his Son to the world to save the world. And the Father in his providence watches over the vine, over Christ and the branches, the church. And by him, the vine is taken care of and cultivated. And he views with peculiar delight the growth and the fertility of the branches. So the father is delighted when he sees the branches, us, the members of the vine, are growing and bearing fruit in our life. The father is the vine dresser. When he said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, the father takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the Lord actually is alluding to Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5. What should I do to my vine? And I didn't do it. What can be done to my vine? And I, I didn't do it. St. John Chrysostom said, he did not mention the vine here for any other purpose but to teach his disciples that without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, they can do nothing. Any branch, when it is cut from the vine, it dies, it withers. So if I am cut from the Lord Jesus Christ, if I'm not abiding in him, I will wither and die. In accordance to this metaphor, the believers need to abide in Jesus Christ as the branch abides in the vine. What are the two chief duties of the vine dressers? What are the two chief duties of the Father? Because the Father is the vine dresser. Number one, cutting off all the fruitless stems. And number two, cleansing those that bear fruit. That's exactly what the Father is doing. Uh, that's how the Father trains the human souls because he is the divine vine dresser. In any natural vine, there are fruitful branches and fruitless branches. And as the vine dresser will, re will remove every unfruitful member, unfruitful branch from the vine, in the same way the Father will remove every fruitless member from the mystical body of Christ. Chapter 14, we saw how Judas Judas left because he was 
unfruitful branch. Also, this applies for the unbelieving Jews and the disciples, I'm not referring here to the 12 disciples, but the followers of Christ who uh, apostasy means to fall away, to return back. So this applies also to the disciples who returned back to Judaism after they followed Jesus Christ and said, Osanna in the highest, Osanna, King of Israel. On Good Friday, they said, crucify him, crucify him. And in our time, this applies to any false member of the church. Mean a Christian by name, who is attached to the vine just in word. I am called a Christian. But my life is not according to his life, not guided by the Holy Spirit. That's why this person is carrying no fruit for the glory of God. These are the fruitless branches. But every branch that bear fruit, he prunes, prunes away any outgrowth or extra stems. Like how God is purifying me from any iniquity or any uh, ungodliness in me. God will remove everything that might hinder me bearing fruit. That's what he means by prunes. The fruit that the branches bear is a life of obedience to the commandment. That is the main fruit. When we obey the commandment of God, then we bear fruit to the kingdom of God and to the glory of God. So the promise for those who bear fruit is that they will be continuously cleansed that they may bear more fruit. The, we should note here that the vine dresser, the father, prunes with care and tenderness, not in harshness. While he is cleansing us, he is doing this with compassion, care, and tenderness. St. John Chrysostom observed that pruning here indicates the persecution that the believer face, the oppression that will not destroy us, but will make us stronger. And we saw how in the past few years, when actually they killed the church, uh, children or exploded churches, this made the people stronger in faith, not being fearful or afraid. Some commentators think that he hints here at Judas, who did not bear fruit. Therefore, he deserved it to be cut off from the apostleship and deprived of 
the kingdom. Judas is like the fig tree which the Lord saw on Monday on his way to the temple and he found no fruit in this fig tree, only leaves. Therefore, he cursed the fig tree and immediately withered. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So, now the Lord is saying that you are clean, you are purged, you are pruned. The Father cleanses you, as he mentioned in verse 2. How does God cleanse us or prune us? Number one, through his word. So, when we listen to the word of God, the word of God cleanses us. You are clean because of the word I spoke to you. And here I want just to say something. Many people believe that the reading in the church just done to fulfill the time of the liturgy. We have three hours, we need just to fill them. And that's why many people don't pay attention to come and attend the reading. And some people, I don't know the, from where they got this, it's important for them to attend the gospel. And if they don't attend the gospel, they come and ask for permission to take communion. As if the reading is like deadline. If you came before this, you, you can take communion after this. You cannot take communion. But if we understand you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So the purpose of the reading in the church, whether in Vespers or in Matins or the Pauline Catholic Praxis and Gospel and the Psalm, is to cleanse us, to purify us, to purge us. So when we partake of his body and his blood, we are clean, and we can partake of his blood and his blood. So, how important to be in the church early, to listen to all the reading, because God is purifying and cleansing us through the reading, through the word of God. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. That's why in Hebrews chapter uh, 3, St. Paul said, in order not to fall away, we need to listen to exhortation daily. Because when we listen to the exhortation of the word of God, it cleanses us every day. In order not to be disobedient, the word of God pierces our heart like a two-edged sword, as we read in Hebrew chapter 4. So it's important to read the scripture, to listen to the exhortation, to come to the church early, because you are clean, you are made clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Also, in Hebrew chapter 10, 
St. Paul told us, in order to hold fast your faith, you need to attend when the church is assembled together so we can be exhorted. We should not leave our meeting together as St. Paul says in Hebrew, as it is the custom of some people. In chapter 14, the Lord said actually to the disciples, you are in chapter, sorry, in chapter 13, verse 10, he said, you are clean, but not all of you. You are clean, but not all of you. Chapter 13, verse 10. Here in chapter 15, he is saying, you are already clean. So how can we reconcile these two verses? When he told them, you are clean, but not all of you, Judas was present. But after Judas left, the Lord told them, you are already clean because of the word. So, some commentator said, perhaps our Lord more immediately refers here to the word which had spoken concerning Judas. And when he said to Judas, what you are doing, go and do it right now. So Judas went out and finished his bargain with the chief priest. So he being gone off, the body of the apostles was purified. That's, that's why now he is saying, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Judas left already. Verse 5, verse 4, sorry. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit of yourself unless you abide in me. So abide in me and I in you, the phrases here are connected as cause and effect. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. Cause and effect. The Lord wants to abide in us, but he respects our freedom our free will. So if you choose to abide in me, I will abide in you. So I abide in you is the promise which he will not fail if the command on the first abide in me be observed. So if we abide in him, the promise is he will abide in us. Uh, so the union between us and God is placed within the power of the human will because God respects our will. God will not impose himself on anybody. So God is giving you the choice. Abide in me, then I will abide in you. It's your choice. It's your decision whether to abide in me, whether to abide in me or not. So, all the promise all is contained in this word abide in me he who obeys his command at any 
century, God will abide in him. And now he will be fruitful branch of the true vine. But separated from the Lord Jesus Christ, as you cut off a branch from the vine, we can accomplish nothing worthwhile. The branch, any branch, in itself is a lifeless organ. And the branch will fulfill its function and will be able to bear fruit only when it is connected to the vine. The same in spiritual life. Men who are apart from Christ have no life in themselves and they are fruitless. But the true life flow from Christ to every branch that abide in him and make the branch fruitful and good. The man who lives without faith in God, we can call him, he exists, but he doesn't live because he misses the true aim of his being. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In verse 1 he said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So now he's elaborating more. He is returning back to the main theme of this illustration and elaborating more. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. So, you are the branches. You will bear fruit for my earthly ministry here. But this actually is true in any person, in any generation who is abiding in Christ. So, this statement, he who abides in me and I in him, bears much fruit, is the case of any believer that are abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in them. Anyone. Without the continuous influence of the vine, Christ, upon the branches, we will not bear any fruit. So Christ should be abiding in us continuously. And this influence should be continuous in order for us to bear fruit. And no plant actually is more fruitful than a vine is. So the influence is continuing because without the continual influence of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of the, the grace of God upon us, we will be barren and unfruitful. But if we have this influence all the time, we will not be only fruitful, but we will bear more fruit, very fruitful. Without his continuing such influence on us, we will not only be 
able to do little, but we will be doing nothing. If this influence is stopped, we'll be doing nothing. Nothing good, nothing acceptable before God. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So two things will happen to this branch. This branch, number one, will be cast out and withered. Cast out the branch will not be a branch anymore, unweathered. Then they will throw this branch into the fire. God here is warning us against hypocrisy, to be Christian by name only, not by life, by action. So there are those who have the name of Christ, but they are not true branches. They are not true disciples. So, now the Lord is speaking after he spoke about how when we abide in him we will not be only fruitful but very fruitful. Now he is going to the unfruitful branches. And he said, uh, those who do not abide me will wither away. In any natural vineyard, a branch will be broken, then it will wither and they will gather them into bundles and they will burn them. This illustration is exactly what will happen to a person who chooses not to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things. Number one, will be cast out. That is the excommunication. He will not be part of the member of Christ then will be burned. If he did not repent, if he did not go back, then that is the final judgment. So the burning of the withered branches here suggests the final judgment. And the Lord here, he is saying about the execution of the last judgment. Those who fall away from him at the second coming, of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be gathered together and cast into the fire. First, they are cast out of his communion and become withered, fruitless. Then, in the final judgment, they will be thrown into the fire. Verse 7, he goes back. If you abide in me, and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire, what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So in verse 7, he returns once more to the principle of union. And what is the benefit? What is the result? What is the outcome of abiding in him? Abiding in him means his word abides in us. We become obedient to his word. As St. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So the believer in Christ, full of his words, 
Day after day, he will realize his union with Christ. So, being zealous with the purpose of his life, filled with the word of Christ, and he doesn't have any will other than the will of God, then that's his desire. That's why anything he will desire, it will be given to him. Because he will desire nothing against the will of God. St. John in his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. So, as if after many years of putting this principle into practice, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, whatever you desire, it will be done to you. In 1 John 5, 14, he said, Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He applied this principle. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, whatever you desire, it will be done to you. And this is actually the true philosophy of prayer. David the psalmist, actually very, very long away before uh, uh, John, he said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When you abide in God and be delighted in his commandment, delighted in his will, then he will give you the desire of your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4. So, this living union with Christ, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me, this union with which will make our prayers, prayer in his name, and this prayer will be answered by God the Father. And this prayer will bring fruit to the glory of God. This is the characteristic of the true disciples and the true believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, by this, this what? By this union, when you abide in me and abide in you, my Father is glorified. Because when you abide in me, you will bear fruit, fruit for the glory of the kingdom of, the, of God. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Could God the Father rejoice when you abide in Christ and when you bear much fruit? It is the honor of the vine dresser, the Father, to have good, strong, vigorous vines, plentifully loaded with fruit. It is the honor of God the Father to have strong, vigorous, holy children entirely freed from sin and perfectly filled with his love. St. John Chrysostom said, Do you see how he who bears the fruit is a disciple? Because the Lord in verse 8 said, when you 
bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. So a true disciple is the one who bears fruit. Do you see how he who bears fruit is a disciple? By this my father is glorified. Means that he is pleased when you abide in Jesus when you bear fruit. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So abiding in him when he told us, abide in me, means abide in my love. So after the Lord has given them the basic teaching of the vine illustration, Jesus started to give them some related teaching, uh, trying them in to buy and to connect this teaching with the previous teaching. So now he passed from the thought of their discipleship to the foundation of their union with him and with God the Father. So, it is the love between the Father and the Son, it is eternal. And it is ever going. It's a continuous love from the Father to the Son. And in the same way, the love of the Son toward us is actually a continuous love expressed, but who will receive it? Those who choose to abide in him. So this love is available for everyone, for every person. But if you choose to abide in him, you will be the object of this love. But if you reject Christ, then you will not abide in his love. The Father's love and presence was ever with the Son from eternity to eternity. Because the Son ever did the things which were pleasing to the Father. Uh, as he said in verse 10, If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. The Son obeyed the Father. That's why by obeying the Father, he is abiding in the love of the Father. In the same way he's saying, the same principle applies here. If you abide in me, then you abide in my love. Uh, so, the love of the, of the Son is always present, ever present. Whenever the willing heart of obedient disciple is open to receive this love. So when we obey his commandment, we are abiding in him, we are abiding in his love, we will enjoy abiding in the Son. The love of the Father to the Son is eternal, immutable, unchangeable, constant, full and perfect, wise and just. 
In the same way, the love of Christ toward us. It is immutable, eternal, constant, full, and perfect. Why is unjust free? It's the same. Christ now is declaring his love toward them to affirm to them that he will physically leave them in few hours after he dies on the cross. And later he will leave them after his ascension. But his love will continue with them because he loves them without limit. It's limitless love. He loves them although we are not worthy of this love because this love is unconditional love. Unconditional and limitless love. Jesus is the only begotten son and that's why the father loves him. But when the the son loves us, he loved us unconditionally, sacrificially, and limitlessly in order to make us children of the father. That's why he instructing us, abide in my love. You need to continue to love me. Even if you stop loving me, I will continue to love you, but you you will not benefit. You will not taste this love because you rejected me. So God loves all men, even those who are in sin. For God so loved the world, all the world, with no exception. But to abide in love means to continue in this relationship and then we will benefit from this love. To abide in love means to act in harmony with the love. If we don't obey him, then we are not acting in love. That's why this fellowship of love with Christ is broken. And here, will not be abiding in love, not because Christ stopped to love us or ceased to love us, because, but because we have violated this love, this fellowship of love. St. John Chrysostom says, Here at length, he speaks in a more human manner when he said in verse Uh, then if you keep my commandment you will abide in my love just I have kept my father's commandment and abide his love so St. John say here is speaking in a human manner for this as spoken to men has its peculiar force the love has this force since what a measure of love did he manifest who chose to die who counted worthy of such honor those who were his slaves, his haters, his open enemies, and led them up to the heaven. So that is the measure of love that he manifested toward us. 
He died, he chose to die for us. He counted us worthy to receive the honor of sonship and the honor of the kingdom of God. We who are his slaves hated him, were open enemy to him by our sins, but he led us to the heaven. So he's saying, if then I love you, be bold to love one another. Because this will glorify it, if it be the glory of my father that you bear fruit. Imagine nothing else, then that he may not make them supine, observe how he braces them again, continue ye in my love, abide in my love. For by abiding in my love, you will have the power to keep my commandment and to bear fruit. And how shall this be if you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love. In order to encourage them to keep his commandment, he's reminding them that he also is subject to the same condition, to obey the Father by keeping the Father's commandment. And that is how he remained in the love of the Father. The Lord kept the Father's commandment always, doing those things which pleases the Father, offering up his precious life, laying down his life on the cross because he knows this will please the Father to save all of us. So what? What the love of God was to Christ, the love of Christ was to, uh, to us. So the same love of the Father toward Christ is the same love of Christ toward us. The disciples at these moments on Covenant Thursday, they were as men with troubled heart. But he told them of the true source of peace. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. In chapter 14. So his own peace he has given to them. And he tells them now of the source of joy. So not only he wants them to be peaceful, but to be joyful. That's why in verse 11, he told them, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I told you all these things. I told you, let not your heart be troubled. I told you my peace, uh, I leave to you my peace, I give to you. I told you uh, to uh, abide in my love. Why I'm telling you all these things? because I want you to be joyful. This is the source of joy. Uh, in order to possess this joy, they need to obey his commandment and to abide in his love. So the state of which has spoken to them the loving and being loved of God is the ideal perfection of the human life. 
when we love God and being loved by Him, that is the perfection of human life. To live in the love of God and to be loved by God. It gives satisfaction to the deepest desire of our being. As St. Augustine said, you created us to yourself and our souls will be restless until we have our rest in you. So to live in this love will satisfy the deepest desires of our being. So when the deepest desires are fulfilled, what is the result of this uh, fullness? Is joy. Our joy will be uh, full. Like if a boy and girl love each other, when they get married, this joy is full. In the same way, when we are loved by our bridegroom and we love our bridegroom, our joy will be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the Lord actually is repeating what he said in chapter 13. In chapter 13, he told them a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So, keeping his commandment is a condition or how to abide in his love. He told them, when you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love. So what is a commandment? If I want to summarize the whole Bible in one word, what this word would be? Love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we understand the meaning of love in our Christian life, we do not need other commandments. St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you like. The whole Bible can be summarized in these four letters. Love. The unconditional, the sacrificial, the willful, the limitless love. So, see here the logic? He told them, abide in my love. How to abide in my love? Keep my commandment. And what's the commandment? Love one another. That's the commandment. And he wants to tell us how love should be. How love should be. Because I can say, I love all of you. So now in verse 13, he is saying to us how love should be. What is the standard of love? Because he said, as I have loved you. So that is the level, that is the standard. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. So that's a command, sacrificial love. Before we said it's unconditional, it is limitless. Now, sacrificial love. So he showed us how love is demonstrated by what we do. The greatest love is willing to give our life for others. 
And the word friends here, when he said, for his friends, friends actually, in the Greek text, means one who is loved. So I will give my life to my beloved. These words were said not as a sermon, but as these words were said on, on Covenant Thursday, or maybe after midnight on Good Friday. They were in Gethsemane already. So this word were not just a sermon, like I am preaching right now, say love one another and lay your down for, but the Lord actually expressed this sermon in practice. In few hours, he will be dying on the cross for the life of the world. So now he's drawing the attention of his hearers toward the cross as a practical declaration of divine love for the entire human race, for everybody on earth. And the significance of Christ's teaching about Christian love does not only mean the willingness to die for one's friend or to die for your faith, but this love stems from the love of Christ toward us, as I have loved you. Meaning, you cannot say I am willing to die for others or I am willing to die for my faith if you are not abiding in his love. So this love in our heart stemming from abiding in his love. The laying down of Jesus' life is spoken of as a command of the Father toward the Son. The Father gave commandment to the Son to die to save the world. And the, fa- the Son obeyed the Father. As St. Paul said, he obeyed unto death the death of the cross. So you can see here, the son obeyed the father. So the son abide in the love of the father. So this is another example of living a life of love as a commandment for the new covenant faithful. That's why the Lord said a new commandment. In the Old Testament, it was just love your uh, friend and he, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But in the new covenant, love everybody. Love your enemies. Sacrificial, unconditional, and limitless love. So the love of Christ became an example, a model for all of us to express love toward other. And not only a model, but this love has power to penetrate our heart and it is the source of our love toward other. It's not just he's setting a pattern and, and an example to be followed, no. But the love on the cross has the power actually to move our heart 
to have the same level and the same degree of love. So the source of love in our heart comes from the cross. So here the Lord is spoken of his own love for them as a standard to our love toward one another. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 19, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's good, an example, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, by laying down our life for the brethren. So, again, Christ is stressing the importance in verse 14. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So again, he's stressing the importance of obedience to his commandment. And this actually will declare our love toward Christ will abide in him. So if we take these things chronologically, he's saying, you need to abide in me as the branch abide in the vine, otherwise you will wither and die. Abide in me means abide in my love. Abiding in my love means to keep my commandment. To keep my commandment means to love one another as I have loved you. So when we love one another, we are abiding in the vine, we are bearing fruit. It is sometimes very hard to love those who reject our love, who are opposing to us. But we can love anyone when we remember that Christ loved that person enough to die for him. So if you're struggling to love a certain person, remember that Christ loved this person whom you are struggling to love. Christ loved him to the extent that he died on the cross for this person whom you are struggling to love. If you love Christ, then through Christ, you can also love any person. And we become his friends when we do his commandment. He showed his love by dying for us. And we should respond to this love, his death on the cross, by showing that we love him in obeying his commandment and loving one another. When Jesus died on the cross, he wanted to be friend with everybody. He died on the cross to extend forgiveness to everybody, to every man. But we receive this forgiveness and benefit from his death on the cross if we obey his commandment, if we accept his love. Then actually, when we act as his friends, we receive the benefits that he offered to his friends. And how we act as his friends 
when we show obedience. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servant. In Greek, no longer do I call you slaves, bond servant. For a servant or a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Or, because I told you this word can mean loved or friends, dear friends, loved friends. For all things that I heard from the Father, I have made known to you. So, the word servant here literally means slave. Any slave is required to obey mechanical obedience without any love between the slave and the master. Also, the slave knows nothing of the aim of his master. The master says, do this, yes, he, he will do it. Even not knowing, not understanding why he's doing this. Uh, he will do the deeds, but he doesn't know why the master is asking him to do such deeds. But God did not deal with us as slaves, although by nature we are his slaves. But he treated us as friends, as fellows, as sharers in his work, as partners. He has revealed to us the character and the attribute of the Father. No one has seen the Father, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has revealed him to us. He kept no truth from us unless it is beyond our comprehension and our understanding. Yes, in John chapter 16, he said, I still have many things to you to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So if God holds certain things, not because you want to hide it, but because we cannot comprehend, we cannot understand it. So the reason he had not told them more was not on his part, because he doesn't want to reveal them, but it was on our part. We cannot bear them. They could not receive more. But in the future, when he sent the Holy Spirit, he will declare all the truth to us. Another evidence he told them, number one, I did not treat you as slaves, but as friends, because whatever I heard from the Father, I have made known to you. The second evidence that he is treating us as friends, not as slaves, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So the second evidence of Jesus' friendship to us, that he chose us. They did not choose him. The disciples 
they accepted this election, they accepted this invitation, and they chose to serve with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he chose them at the beginning. He went, Peter, follow me. Andrew, follow me. Then now, he sent them to bear fruit. And this statement is true for all of us. Because all of us are God's elect. God, as St. Peter said, he chose all of us before the foundation of the world. He chose all of us to be his friends. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross. Now, if we accept this election, then God saying, now you became my friend. I am sending you to bear fruit and that your fruit may remain. So this election depends on our willingness to respond to the gospel, to respond to his calling. God's calling us, calling each one of us. And the fruit they were to bear refers especially to their work in bearing witness of him and preaching the gospel after he ascended to heaven. And until now, as the Lord said, you will be my witnesses, witnesses of me. And we need to bear fruit. Because if we don't bear fruit, we are a dead branch, become fruitless. Then Jesus is repeating here the same promise in verse 16. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Why he is repeating the promise again? Why in this context? He added this promise here to encourage their perseverance in the work of ministry. They will face many difficulties. They will face many discouragement. They will face many hardship. But wherefore, as they would stand in need of divine assistance, God is telling them, whatever you ask the Father, when you go to bear fruit, he will give you. So this for encouragement. And the last verse in our Bible study tonight, verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. So in verse 17, the Lord is repeating that he intended for all this instruction, what he said, I am the vine and you are the branches and my father is the vine dresser, you abide in me. So the intention of all this is to lead them to love one another. His death on the cross and proving his friendship to us and all other signs that he did in his life, in his ministry, are toward this goal, to love one another. In this world, the world that's full of anger, uh, uh, hatred, hostility to one another. But we, the children of God, should be different, should actually express this divine love to one another and to the rest of the world. So as if God is taking us to a higher type 
and model of humanity. The, the world will not know this level of love, but we, his children, we should know and live such level of love, the sacrificial, the limitless, the unconditional love toward one another. This actually concludes our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.